Hey there, welcome back to another episode, another week, another show. I'm Father Roderick, and today we're going to talk about Becoming Red, one of those new Disney movies that you can watch on Disney+. Plus. We're going to talk about uh, Zumba, <laughs> and I'll do a book review and much, much more to come this episode. All my work is made possible thanks to my wonderful Patreon community. You know how to join them. Just go to patreon.com slash fatheroderick. Thanks so much for your support. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Let the fun times begin. It's finally time for some new events, some a bit of travel, all that you know, outdoor activity that I've been missing for so long, for too long actually. So the fantasy festivals are starting again. Elfia, uh, the the costume stuff. There's much more coming later this year. Hopefully, no more pandemic to uh, to <laughs> prevent us from going there i'm about to travel to uh, to rome i want to go to the united states after that and i'm already planning some uh summertime traveling uh in the months of june and july and august so um it's yeah i love it and i'm really enjoying uh traveling and and being out there it is it's very motivating uh, there's only so much that you can do behind a desk. Of course, I've been keeping myself busy quite a bit behind my desk. But ultimately, in order to get new ideas, fresh ideas, you need to go out and meet new people and, ex- and most importantly, experience new experiences. Um, there are only so ma- many stories that I can tell. Even in a homily, sometimes I just get like out of stories. And whenever I go on vacation or I visit people or I experience something... That gives me a ton of stories that can feed my uh, my own stories, my homilies and my videos. Not to mention the podcast. So, yeah, good times ahead. Do you know what's going on? I already... Pre- I know what's going on. How <laughs> do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. Now I'm going to give it to you. Today I want to talk about the latest Disney Pixar movie, Turning Red. Let's go. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24 7 I know, it's a lot. But I don't got time to mess around. Oh, about that hustle, am I right? Poor town. This is gonna be the best year ever. And nothing's gonna get in my way. Breakfast is ready. Coming. It's gonna be me. Is everything okay? I'm a gross red monster. Don't look at me. Stay back. 
This happened already? What did you say? Our ancestors had a mystical connection with red pandas. Are you kidding me? This little quirk brought us in our family. Sick. I've always wanted a tail. I'm a freak. We love you, May. You're our girl. Whoa. You're you. Any strong emotion yes! will release the panda. Abby, hit me. <gasps> oh. Do you know how dangerous this is? You'll get whipped up into a frenzy and panda all over. I've been perfect little May May. But maybe I like this new me. <laughs> Mama's girls. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> it's gonna be me. So, this is the newest Disney Pixar movie. And to be perfectly honest, when I saw this trailer, I didn't think I would like it. It feels like super full of energy. Uh, it's very, um, it's a bit too much, you know. It's over the top, tells the story of this uh, 13-year-old girl. It's puberty, uh, has a very controlling mother, a pretty, like, weak father who doesn't really want to, interf wants to interfere. And it turns out that there is this family secret that they never told the, ch the, the kid about. And that is if she unleashes her her emotions, she will turn into a huge red panda that everybody fears. And so this had to be repressed for generations. And this takes place in the uh, early years of our century. So it refers to boy bands and to the Tamagotchi trend and everything. So it all felt a bit too much and definitely not i wasn't part of the target audience boy was i wrong because what is this sound uh, it's the monitor turning off and when the monitor turns off uh it also powers my mouse and my keyboard so it starts bleeping like me what's going on power is back um i uh, will you please stop it i know that you are busy um, the, I was wrong because this is ultimately not a story about big rat pandas. It's actually even not a story about puberty or growing up or coming of age. Um, this is a story about, about generational family trauma, about it, it being accepted or not, uh, being good enough. It's about what parents tell their children and then what the children tell their children and it's not always the good stuff that gets transmitted. It's also sometimes just family, generational um, repression or judgment or a certain style, certain way of looking at kids that, that only the best is good enough. And when I was watching this movie, I recognized so much of my own family story, uh, especially from my mother's side. Uh, her grandmother... Chinese. My mother had a very, very difficult upbringing. Um, didn't feel at all loved or accepted or, or even free to be who she was. But despite that, she, I think, also transmitted a lot of those, that same way of looking at the world, looking at others onto us. And it's only now, strangely enough, when I'm 
already, you know, <laughs> of age myself. I'm 54, but I'm starting to realize more and more how much that kind of Asian influence in my upbringing um, has has damaged me in uh, in certain ways, and uh, and I've really had to fight to make different choices in my own life. Um, and I've I've just recently started. This movie also triggered a lot of like memories and things and made me think a lot about the way I was brought up and how much that is part of this kind of Asian part of, of my family. And uh, so, yeah, I was watching this movie. It's like, this movie is about me. I can totally see why not everyone will, will be able to relate to this. And that's not a problem. You know, that, that's, that's, that's the case with everything. Uh, every story, some people will recognize themselves and will be able to, understand what the story is try, trying to tell other people will be fr from another planet they won't have had those experiences and it's much harder to relate to this but i really liked what this story tried to do i also think it is for pixar disney quite uh, quite a leap actually it's this is not a, a people pleaser movie this this talks about pretty you know important serious stuff it does it in a in an entertaining way but um, it's it's a bit like what Up also did, talking about getting older, about mourning. You know, this this old guy losing his his beloved wife. Those are themes that nobody thirty years ago would associate with animated movies. Those were supposed to be kind of you know superficial and fun and inconsequential. And and especially Pixar is always talking about these underlying issues. Um, think of. Uh, um, uh, what else? The the the, the uh, oh, outside? No, what was the inside outside movie? That is all, all about your your emotions and your how your brain works in uh, Inside Out. <laughs> inside outside Inside Out. Uh, the, I thought that, that movie was brilliant. It was so incredibly well executed and and talks about very important stuff. It's very insightful. It made me think a lot more than a, than a, a number of, of, of more conventional movies, even the art house ones and the ones that are very pretentious trying to you know, say important things. But I think the Pixar movies have a ton of depth. Uh, but again, it depends on where you're coming from and how you know, what is your background. For me, this movie was really, really, really impactful. And... Um, yeah, give me more of it. <laughs> I'm definitely going to see this another time. Um, and, and well, it had the, the, the big benefit of making me more aware of the fact that some of the aspects of the way in which I was brought up are not just that was my mom. No, this is also Asian culture. This is, this is part of my ethnic uh, <laughs> roots, you could say. But of course, I have a choice. I can I can relate to it now and and um, choose what to, what I want to integrate in my life and what what I'm going to discard and just leave out. So yeah, I totally did not expect this, and it's beautifully done. It's very well executed. I I really like the style, but uh, yeah, it's more about the story and the 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 kind of themes that they're that they're treating here. That was completely unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> Catholics rock! When you hear this jingle, you know it's time for another visit to the Peculiar Bunch, where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Abba 
Cats can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Especially from newer followers, I often get questions in the same directions, like, what do you think of violent video games or Zumba or stuff Man, like that? You guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. I have to admit that I'm always a bit surprised when I get questions like, um, yeah, I want to ask you a serious question, Father. Uh, so I've been playing, uh, 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 what is it, um, uh, just any any type of violent game. I can't come across, I can't come up with any names because I never play violent games. But you know these first-person shooters. Um, Ghost Rick, Rick, Rickon, what do you think of that? Is that, is that bad for my soul? And, uh, oh, I've been watching this movie, and it's about magic, and it's about the devil, and uh, I like it, but as a father, would you say that I'm going to hell if I do that? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't recall ever having had anyone tell me, and I was from a you know, pretty, pretty um, engaged Catholic family, I was an altar boy and everything. Nobody ever told me. No, no priest, no, no one from my family in school, no one did. That, that meant that I couldn't play video games or watch certain movies. So over time, I've discovered that this is also a bit cultural, especially in the United States. Um, there seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course I'm not American, but it, it, it feels oftentimes like the Catholic culture is much more influenced by evangelical culture than Catholics realize. And evangelical, Baptist, you, you name it. So a lot, there's a lot of kind of this Protestant anti-cultural attitude that has been integrated in the way American Catholics live out their faith. And so there's a lot of this kind of uh, hostile attitude towards anything that is not explicitly part of Catholic culture. Another thing that stunned me was when I started to follow uh, Catholics in North America on, on social media, uh, many of them only posted Catholic stuff. And not just like, oh, let's talk about church and faith in, in today's world and about uh, Catholic morals or, or you know, uh, uh, social ethics. Nah, it was all the, the, the devotional stuff, like... Uh, uh, about consecration to such and such and how many prayers you should say per day and all these endless debates about Latin liturgy and stuff like that. It's just all as if being a Catholic meant that that you can only talk about Catholic stuff. And you're supposed to project yourself as someone who's always, always thinking about Catholicism, church, liturgy, uh, prayer... Uh, meditation, mostly the, the, the ritual side of faith. And another thing that is that strikes me, again, it's my perception, so you may have other experiences, um, what I often felt was lacking was this kind of more integration of faith in day-to-day -day life, and the choices that people make, and the way they treat one another, the, the, even their, the choices that they make politically, economically, uh, the way they look at minorities and people in need, etc. Th that was almost a, 
an aside, something that that yeah, sure, as Catholics, we that's we think it's part of what we are supposed to be talking about, but we'd rather talk about rosaries. Of course, I'm I'm making a bit of a caricature of this. There's nothing wrong with praying the rosary uh, or or with devotions, but it's not the only thing. That's all meant to help us to be a follower of Christ. That's what Catholicism is about. It's what we are just like Jesus called his disciples and wanted them to follow him. That's how he calls us. And it, following Jesus doesn't mean just praying. Jesus was was praying, but he was also helping people. He was also especially supporting the poor and the widows and, and was very concerned when people were suffering. And I just didn't see that same balance in the life of a lot of the Catholics that I was following. And and I feel that, that uh, mostly the younger generation that I reach on YouTube and when I'm playing video games or I'm streaming those, a lot of these kids have been brought up as Catholics. They may have gone to church at some point in their lives, done their first communion. But but in their mind, in their perception, the church is, the Catholic church is mostly associated with things you should not do. It's about this... Uh, hostile attitude and and it's almost as if the things that, that most kids like are suspect and are you're not supposed to be interested in that and of course that that doesn't work for them because they, they ask me they see that I play video games and I was like but but uh, there's his father and he also you know likes to watch movies and and is into Star Wars and and uh, and worse <laughs> what to think of that? And, and so they ask me for advice. And, am I going to hell if I play this violent video game? And I always have to explain to them, but well, well, no, it's fiction. You know, it's, it's a story. How can a story affect you if, if you don't want it to affect you? Of course, you know, you, you, can, you can choose. But you have a free will. And you have a mind. You can make the difference between what is a fairy tale, a story, what is fictional, and what is real. And if you play a, 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 a game in which you are a soldier and you need to get to the next level and you have a gun and you need to kill the bad guys, of course that is not the same as you going out in the street with a real gun shooting people. And, and it's absolutely not true. And, and, and uh, research shows it that someone who plays violent video games will, have, will be violent in real life. <laughs> if that were the case, oh my gosh. I would be in prison by now, <laughs> but it's it's. Um, I, I I've always well, so I I reassure them. It's like no, that's okay, at least for me. But but of course, you know, I'm not your parents. I'm not responsible for you. But if you ask me, um, I I trust you. I know that you can make the difference between what is fiction and what is a game and what is real. And I, I trust that you have a conscience and you can make the, the, the right uh, moral choices in, in real life and you'll know what's good. And, and one video game or one film or story that you watch is not going to turn you into a bad person. It, you, it, needs, it takes a little bit more than that. So, but what I always say is like, you choose your friends. You know, it's all about, also about balance. Make sure you also feed your soul. Uh, you, that you, if you play video games, um, behave as you would behave with, you know, in day-to-day -day life. So don't go... Uh, walking around like this big aggressive people who's always yelling at others uh, when they're in co-op. No, try to be kind. Your your faith 
and your upbringing should become visible in in the way you interact with others, even if you're playing a, a violent video game. So, um, and I'm always, uh, I think for for the rest of us, for the church, w- instead of immediately condemning what is not part explicitly part of our Catholic culture, uh, w- we should be curious. We should always ask ourselves if something is super popular and 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 lots of people flock to a certain thing or or a line of thought the first thing we should ask ourselves is how come what are people looking for what are they searching and why aren't we able to give them what they are looking for because it is not enough to say well everything is bad so please come to us because if you go to church on sunday to, to your local catholic church that's how you will go to heaven i don't think it works like that even in the Bible, when you look at Jesus, what Jesus says, he's, he's not uh, telling people that the kingdom of God is for those that go to church every Sunday. No, it's about those who clothe the naked, who visit the prisoners, who take care of the sick. Those, the poor people, those are the people that will have, you know, the VIP treatment in heaven, in, in, in the kingdom of God. So it's about what you do, not just the prayers you perform or the observances those are important tools and i'm the last one to disregard the importance of that but if it doesn't if it's not followed up in by action then you should you should be wary and i think that the church is not listening enough to society to our modern culture and 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 so i'm i'm for, for me it's just foreign to be hostile towards the culture i've this is my culture too I live in this culture, and I am not that different from someone who never goes to church, honestly. I may make some different choices in some areas, but the people that don't go to church, they still have a conscience. They're still children of God. They still have been created for to do good, and most of them are good, mostly. And so um, I was interested in, uh, in, in an article, or I was, uh, an article piqued my interest, I should put it that way, uh, the other day, which was written by a young theologian. Um, I think she's 24 years old, so she must have just been just finished her theology studies. And she was she had been intrigued for a while by by her generation, people from her age, that instead of going to church on Sunday, they would go to the gym. And she's like, I want to know why. What do they find there that they can't find in church? And so she signed up for Zumba courses, Zumba classes. It's kind of a bit of a dance-based fitness routine um, with an instructor, and the instructor tells you which moves you should make, and it's you know it's intensive, but it's not it's not like weight training or anything. And she describes the process. She's like, "What I loved about that is that you can just shut off your mind. You can just close your eyes and and do what the teacher tells you, and that's all you need to think of for an hour." And that was almost, it felt similar to meditation. Um, it was just this, this idea that nothing matters for a moment, if, it, if only for one hour. That's kind of what church is supposed to do on Sunday, right? It's take you out of your day-to-day concerns, plunge you into a, a world filled with stories and imagery and beautiful songs and music and every all your senses should be engaged. But it is so that in that 
one hour, you can recharge, it makes you think, it helps you understand certain things. And all that should feed you for the rest of the week. And I don't think that church works like that anymore for the younger generation. And it's, it's, um, it's not the fault of the younger generation. I don't believe that. I think it's our fault. It's, it's what, because we, we are stuck in our mediocre liturgies. We have reduced faith to just the observances, the rules. And it's not relevant anymore. And if we're truly honest and we look into our souls, we have to ask ourselves, how relevant is it for my day-to-day life, my faith? Does it really change my behavior? Has it made it, uh, me a better person? If so, prove it. Show me what you do with your faith. Do you do what Jesus did? Or do you have excuses? <laughs> and is ultimately your life 95% the same as the life of anyone who doesn't believe in anything? If that's the case, then maybe the problem is at your end. Maybe the problem is at our end. And if the church is not relevant for the new generation, it's not the gener- new generation's fault. It's because the church apparently has, has nothing to offer them. Another thing that she was intrigued by is that um, uh, the, the, the gym offers a ton of different activities that you can do. And people just choose and pick what they like. And so she talked with a number of people that were frequenting the gym and they and she asked explicitly, do you find something here that you can't find in church? And everyone said the same thing. Well, in the church, there's all these rules. There's this harness of there's only one way, and that's what they do in that particular church. And they sing their songs, and it's always the same. And it, 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 it feels like a monoculture, whereas what we like so much about the gym is that we can we can choose these different things that we can do and one day i'll feel like this another day i need i know i need this so i but i am the one who is in charge i can i can choose what fits me what suits me whereas in the church it's just one size fits all and you know what i was like yep i totally understand that that is exactly the problem it's, it's one of the issues that even I, as a priest, struggle with. I should be a professional believer, right? But when I do, when I assist in in the parishes, parish churches here, the one thing that I often really dislike is the is the music. It's just the songs are so bad. The music is so bad, and, and I don't blame people for it because th- that's just the culture. And you've got these choirs, and everybody likes singing, but they're not very good. They're not very ambitious. The songs are, you know, have been written in the seventies of the last century, never changed them anymore, and the execution is so mediocre. And it just ugh, it doesn't appeal to me at all. I mean, I like certain types of music. If there's a really good choir and they sing Mozart every once in a while, because I'm not every Sunday I'm interested in Mozart, every once in a while when there's like this beautiful choir, sure, I, I, I like that. I mean, it's not that I would, if you would ask me, what kind of music would you like during this Mass? I wouldn't pick Mozart or, or whatever. No, I'd go for something much more simple. I'd like, I like Gregorian chant. Because it's of its simplicity. It's, there's something calming, something pure about it, if it's well executed, of course. Um, 
and and that's what I like. But I don't I don't go to church to hear choral music. I mean, I I, I tolerate it. I <laughs> I even compliment the singers. Of course, I'm supposed to do that because that that's what they like to do. But it's not necessarily what I like to hear. Let alone someone who is not at all familiar with classical music or with that church music, and they are listening to totally different music all day long. And they come to church and they have no choice. They can't fast forward. They can't pick their playlist. I so can relate to that. Um, Another problem is uh, also us priests. We are also oftentimes so predictable. We're always, you know, preaching the same things. Um, One of my biggest challenges is to make sure that if I preach that I would listen to that homily? <laughs> that's, that's a confrontational question because sometimes after I, I've, I've preached, I was like, that wasn't very good. <laughs> and I'm limited, of course, in, in what I can do. I only have, I mean, I'm a good storyteller and I do my best. But I can also imagine that my style of preaching is not for everyone. And 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 that some people was like would prefer... So maybe a more theological type of, of homily, but we can't switch. It's just, you know, you, it is what it is. You eat what is served. And our newer generation is so accustomed to having limitless choices. And they can pick and choose what fits them, what suits them, what they like to do. And the church is the total opposite of that. Now, does it mean that everything should be optional in the church? No, but I do feel that we need to listen more to what this new ge- what this generation is looking for. And if I, again, always go back to the gospel. How does Jesus tackle stuff like this? Well, he never does one the same thing uh, the next day. He is always doing something new. He's always surprising people. Um, and people surprise him. He's always in in a relationship. He's always talking, and you know his question is often, "What do you need? What can I do for you? What do you want?" And then he helps them. That is the question that we should be accustomed to asking the younger generation. If we worry about the future of the church, start by asking this new generation, "What do you need? How can I help you?" And you may be surprised at how much you learn from that simple question. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I want to talk about war. Nah, I'm not going to be too depressing. (laughs) The news is depressing enough. Um, But I did want to read a little bit more about about Russian culture and about Putin and his politics and what's been going on there for years because the war in Ukraine is, of course, doesn't come out of the blue. It's part of a pattern. It's part of a, uh, a an attitude and a, and a story. A lot of the justification for war comes from the story that you tell yourself, the way you frame your place in history. And that's definitely the case with Putin. And so I... I Listen to this audiobook called Putin's Russia. It's an audiobook I, I can't really share. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's in Dutch, so it won't be, it's not that interesting for most of you. 
Um, but it was very interesting. It's actually a, a number of courses uh, or talks at the university uh, from various historians uh, and, and, and Russia experts. Uh, and they all um, try to... Th th this was recorded a few years ago, and funny enough, nothing has changed. So they're talking about the invasion of Crimea. And it's, it's fascinating to hear that at the time when these courses were recorded a lot of the rhetoric, a lot of the stuff that was happening was almost identical to what we've seen happening in, in Ukraine for the past few weeks. And nothing, Putin has not really changed. If maybe the thing that changed the most is that he's become even more isolated and starts to believe even more of his own framing, his, his own storytelling. Um, and he's got a much stronger control over any media and communication so that that the the official propaganda is the only thing that people have access to whereas of course we uh in 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 the western part of the world we get much more information uh, we, we have much more visual proof of what's going on there and we have also a different take on russia's role and but listening to these experts uh telling what how what kind of story Putin is telling himself and what he's telling the, his people was very enlight enlightening. And uh, one of the historians made the point that, in fact, even though the Tsars were replaced by the revolution, people like Stalin and, uh, and also Putin, these, these autocrats, are basically just continuing this Tsarist tradition where you use violence and force uh, to impose your dominance you you want the economy to grow because it helps you as well there's a lot of, it's, it's really a kleptocracy and has been a kleptocracy for for many generations and that's very hard to root out um, the storytelling is important the russians see themselves uh, and again i'm generalizing but uh, a lot of Russians see themselves as the only uh, force during Second World War that defeated the Nazis. Whereas in the Western part of the world, we know, of course, that it's much more nuanced than that. And yes, the Russians played a role, but so did the Allies, so did the Americans, the Brits, the Canadians. Our country was liberated by uh, the Canadians and the, the Americans and the, and the English, not by the Russians. But... The story they tell themselves is, you know, we are the, the, our country has saved the world from the Nazis. And now Putin is using that same rhetoric uh, to scare people of the so-called Nazis in, in Ukraine, basically fabricating an enemy that does not exist. And, uh, but if that's the only version of history that you grew up with, um, why would you believe something else? Especially because the war is so gruesome that it's convenient to have a, a story that you can latch on to that will justify what's happening or will minimize uh, the, 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 the damage in, to a certain extent. What's happening there, if I, I, I'm convinced that if people in Russia knew the truth about what was happening there in Ukraine, it would be another revolution. But it's the storytellers that determine what people believe. That is why 
journalism is so vital. Also, criticism in journalism. That's why I, I'm, oh, I get so, get so mad when I hear bishops or cardinals rant against the press or fellow priests. It's like, oh, that, that journalist, uh, he's always critical. Uh, I, I will never give an interview to him because he's always attacking the church. And it's like, be glad, praise the Lord that we have journalists that can criticize the church. If it weren't for them, lots of victims of the abuse crisis would still be victims, would have been forced to stay silent. It's thanks to journalists that have uncovered the ugly truth of what was happening and had been happening for decades that the church was able to seek forgiveness, try to to address the situation, change the formation of priests, and be close to the victims. The same is true for the changes in the Catholic culture. This, this, the criticism that the church, I think, partially rightfully gets for the way she's, she's organized, the way in which she operates, has ultimately led to the big reforms that Pope Francis with the other cardinals is, is uh, trying to establish. Because it, there was a lot wrong with the Vatican. I've been always a defender of... Of, of the Vatican, of the Pope, because I, I falsely assumed that they were the good guys and the rest of the world is just against the faith and against the church. And over, over the last few years, I've, I've seen a totally different side of the church that is in dire need of reform. And that is not at all what the church is supposed to be. And we should be, we should be glad that there are people that have, and that we have a, a culture where criticism is nurtured and is valued and that we have journalists that go to the bottom. Because if, we, if it weren't for them, we would all fall for propaganda. And, and, and of course, in, a, in the church, there's also propaganda. And, and, and it's one of the things that, that really irritates me when, when the church, Catholic church in countries or dioceses, that they think that they can only, um, that they should only uh, that that communication is only supposed to be propaganda. It should only be always in support of the bishop, always in support of his agenda, always, you know, uh, talking about what the good stuff that's happening, never addressing the criticism, never asking questions to people that have fallen away, um, not not having self-deprecating humor. <laughs> that's also a form of being critical towards yourself, being able to laugh about yourself. When, the, when there's no humor in the church, that's a very, very bad sign. If we can't laugh about ourselves anymore, it means we're not honest with ourselves because there's a lot to laugh about and even more to cry about. But so this whole, um, the, 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 the audiobook that I was listening to was not just informative when it comes to Russia, but I could also apply it to other situations as well uh, because there are always autocratic tendencies elsewhere in society as well, also in, in small villages, in families, in schools, at work. It's just that Putin has a lot of money and a lot of power, uh, and it took him decades to build it, and now he's holding on to it. So the devastation that he can cause is much bigger. But the, but the oftentimes the narrative is the same that you would encounter even in the church, I would say. And so we have to be always critical. 
Always also be critical. Be as much critical about your friends as you are about your enemies. And be as just as critical as you are. Uh, be just as critical about yourself as you are about others. It's kind of the, 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 the mirror of love your neighbor as you love yourself. Be as critical for yourself as you are critical of your neighbor or your boss, for that matter. Um, the second book that I want to briefly mention here is Old Man's War by John Scalzi. Um, a lot of my friends had, have been recommending this book to me. Um, and so I finally got around reading it or listening to the audiobook. It was quite a big time investment. I think it took me about six hours to finish it. Um, and uh, I was disappointed. It was a very mediocre science fiction story. <laughs> Honestly, I, I expected so much more. And instead it was like, yeah, that's it? Seriously? So it's about this 75-year-old guy in the future who joins the army um, because they promise him if he enlists he will get rejuvenated. He doesn't exactly know what that entails, but it turns out that he gets a totally new body. So it's a bit like Avatar. <laughs> These soldiers get a very optimized body, and then they run around fighting wars. And th th the first part of the book is all about the transformation. The second part of the book is just a very dull uh, sequential summary of then we fought this battle, then we fought that battle. There's no real reflection. There's no depth. None of the characters are interesting. Um, I even found the main character, you know, quite unsympathetic. Couldn't relate to that guy. Um, towards the end, there is one moment that you think, oh, now it gets interesting, and then, yeah, no. <laughs> Forget about it. So, Old Man's War, yeah. It's a, it's the first book of a series, but I don't think I'm going to continue with the rest of the series. Unless you can convince me that it gets better over time, I might consider it, but... I don't really expect it. The scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. What sort of science? Let's talk about dinosaur science. As a child, I loved dinosaurs. As a student, I loved the Jurassic Park series. It piqued my interest because of the dinosaurs. And whenever I see an article about dinosaurs, I need to read it. And this was interesting. It's a, it's a theory based on bones that they found of the Spinosaurus, which was a big dinosaur with a long neck and a huge fin and a big tail. But what was puzzling to the scientists that dug up the, the bones was that the leg bones were super dense. And according to these, this new theory, the density of the bones may actually indicate that these dinosaurs at least partially lived in the water because you see that same density with uh for instance in the in the the feet uh and the legs of the hippo now a hippo doesn't really swim i think it can swim but it it, it lives both in the water but also on uh on land and uh the the bone structure is important because of the, the pressure of the water, apparently, or something like that. So, um, But then this went against the conviction of, of a lot of archaeologists that dinosaurs actually uh, descended from, from aquatic creatures, and the moment that they crawled onto land and developed legs, why would they go back in the water? 
Um, so why would they revert to you know the state of swimming creatures? It, wasn't it supposed to be just go go to land and never return to the sea? Well, apparently, with the the spinosaurus, I should say, um, it's probably a mix. It's not certain if this animal could swim, although it has a tail and the, the big fin may indicate also. Um, uh, the, 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 of course, we don't know how exactly these creatures moved, but a, a fin is not that useful on land, but it is very useful in the water. So maybe it could swim, but another... Um, uh, explanation could be that it would hunt in the water, that the uh, Spinosaurus would go to the, um, you know, into the water and would would use its its long slender neck to strike at the water and and catch fish, um, and and then it would make sense, of course, for the animal to have such a long neck because some of the dinosaurs had long necks that they used to get the you know to eat the leaves from trees with very tall trees um, but you can also do the opposite and use a long neck for hunting in the water so you can just dive underwater and catch whatever is swimming there and eat it so un until we find actual remains of the food that these spinosaurus ate like i can imagine that if a, a, a spinosaurus died uh, with a belly full of, of fish maybe they can find remains of the bones of these fishes and then they would have some additional proof that this uh, this animal would spend a lot of time in the water. Uh, but I, I always love it that when, when this is a dinosaur, a very big dinosaur, that we knew about for a long time, but we always pictured it to be a land creature and now all of a sudden it's like, well, but what if this, this guy was actually hunting in the water? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And so... Oh my gosh, if only we could go back in time and take some pictures of what we would see. It would be so much safer than starting another Jurassic Park. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well... All your technology stuff it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. In this tech section of the show, I've often talked about image uh, manipulation and enhancement and um, artificial intelligence um, that is now used to improve or even generate 3D uh, imagery based on 2D images. Um, but the same... Development is also visible in the field of audio. And uh, to give you an example, if you've seen the series about Boba Fett, at one point there is this classic Star Wars character that appears. And the actor uh, is old now, and his voice has also changed quite a bit. But in this appearance, not only the face of the, of the character was exactly the way it was when this actor was still in his prime. Uh, well, in his prime, that's a bit judgmental, but was in his younger years. But also the voice sounded very much like the way the actor sounded 20, 25 years ago. And they used a lot of audio recordings from that time to teach a computer how to generate a voice that sounded exactly like that actor uh, when he was in his younger years. And 
this voice synthesis was stunning. But this voice synthesis is also making headway in our day-to-day uh, applications. Uh, remember, uh, was it last year or two years ago, Google had a demonstration where they had a computer call a hair salon, a hair salon to make an appointment. And the computer was making the appointment and the real person, the owner of the hair salon, had no idea that she was talking to a computer. Because the computer emulated not just the information or the voice sounded real, but it was also all the the peculiarities of, of human speech. It's like, uh, yeah, um, I'd, uh, I'd like to make an appointment for um, uh, so-and-so. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, hold on, I'll see if... Uh, is, is Monday an option? Uh, let me take a look. Sure, yeah, 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 that's okay. So it was all these, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 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 let me take a look. The hesitations, etc., made it super believable, but also very, very creepy. Like, whoa, so you really can't tell that that is a computer talking to you. Uh, the, the appliances that we currently have, Alexa and Google Home, etc., even though the voices are pretty good nowadays, but you can still tell by the intonation and the type of responses that it gives that these are uh, computer-generated voices. There's no hesitation. It's not like, uh, uh, tell me the latest news. Uh, sure, um, let me take a look. Uh, here it is, here it is. Let me play this for you. No, it's like, this is today's news. And then news of Monday, blah, blah, blah. And it starts reading the news. Um, but what I didn't know was that this uh, voice synthesis is now also available in uh, in applications that you can download. For instance, there's this voiceover application where you can, uh, where it transcribes your your talk. It's called Descript. Um, it's a paid um, service, uh, so you can load up, for instance, uh, let's say a homily. I want to I want to do like an edit of my homily and just take out like one thirty second clip. Normally, that would take. I would have to go through that entire homily, listen to it again, and then maybe that particular clip doesn't end well because I I wrap it up like I continue with another phrase, and but I don't want that in. So it's really hard to turn that into something that is um, has a nice beginning and ending. But with this software, not only can you edit it based on the text. So you cut away what you don't, what you're just reading through it, and you're just like, okay, I want to have this paragraph, but I want to change the these three words. And it will actually use a voice synthesis to replace the original text with the new words. So it could you could end with a you know a phrase that's and and that's that's my message for you today. Even though that has never been said during the homily, it would still be the the it would sound like your voice um i mean it's fascinating and i i i definitely want to try it out see if i can do can use that to to create snippets inspirational snippets why not but at the same time it's also wow i can think of a lot of uh, uh, ways in which you can abuse this <laughs> for nefarious purposes. I've got this TikTok video here that is about this technology. If you thought editing your content like a Word doc was mind-blowing, you better buckle up. Within 24 hours of uploading some of my speech content to Descript, I was able to type in any words and... Hey TikTok, what's up? 
That is not me. Well, I mean, technically it is, but no, it isn't. That's an AI generation of my voice. Imagine being able to instantly turn your writing into listenable content for those who prefer to consume it that way. Copy and paste. Use social media as a way to share the world through your eyes instead of curating an external perception of yourself for others. Imagine being able to add a forgotten point to your podcast without having to re-record a thing. So this is the before. Today it is freezing outside and it hasn't been this cold in a while. Okay, and I wanna add a point that I missed. Today it is freezing outside like bare bones and it hasn't been this cold in a while. This technology breaks down so many barriers for creators and yes, Descript goes through the safety measure of confirming your identity. The future is going to be wild, but with time being our most valuable human asset, this is pretty gnarly. Isn't that amazing? So I downloaded the demo, which gives you about three hours of transcription. And then I think the subscription is uh, about 14 bucks and then you can upload 10 hours of audio for, for to, to work with. Um, and then there is a higher tier for more hours, something like that. I'm going to try this out, but let me know if this would freak you out. I, I do believe that it could help me to repurpose some of the content of my usually very long homilies, but to to share that with uh, you know an audience that may not want to listen to a 10-minute or 20-minute homily, but still could benefit from a little snippet. Well, this technology makes it possible to do something that is very curated, and at the same time, it would still sound like me. <laughs> we live in such crazy times. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, because that is the greatest gift that you can give someone, the gift of your time. Um, and thank you for all your support, your feedback. And if you want to help me financially to do my work and to create content in the future and reach out to the world, check out my Patreon community over at patreon.com slash fatherrodrick. In exchange, you'll get access to the Discord server, to a wonderful community, and to a whole bunch of free podcasts that are only available to my patrons. Uh, the Gospel for Geeks, Father Roderick to the Max, and The Extra Mile. So if you like my content and you'd like to listen to more of it, becoming a patron may be one of the ways in which you can get access to that extra content. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon. God bless.